Christ. I was watching a TV show on Netflix the other day with, with my wife, and the, the show was starting to wrap up, and we were coming towards the end. It had been filled with twists and turns, and finally, the writers threw in one last ridiculous, unbelievable turn, and as we were watching the show, to my wife's chagrin, I burst out, yeah, right. I'm one of those people that watches the show. Sorry. It was unbelievable. There had already been so many twists and turns that one more, the one that they had tried to make the culmination of the show, I went, no, not buying it. Didn't happen. No chance. And maybe you could imagine some people reading Matthew for today, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and they read it and they go, "Uh uh-uh, nope, not buying it. Yeah, right. No chance. They say it didn't happen. They say it's unbelievable that there's no way something like this could have happened in real time and in real space. And it is my distinct privilege to be the one to tell you today we are dealing with facts and history in Matthew chapter 28. We are bearing witness something that actually happened not just in scripture but in real life in the Middle East in a real place Jesus rose from the dead. And if that did happen, if a man died on a tree, went into a grave for three days, and then was brought forth from that grave, not the body stolen, not the body moved, but actually walked out of his grave, if that actually happened in real life, then we've got to pay attention to it. Because if that happened in real life, then our God is showing to us that he has brought about victory, not just in life, but victory in death. As these women were headed towards the, the, the tomb that morning, the light hasn't even, hasn't even shown forth, and they're headed to the tomb, it's kind of a bleak situation. They're, they're walking towards it, and, and they really would have loved, loved to be able to prepare Jesus' body for his, for his burial before Saturday rolled around, but unfortunately it happened too close to the Sabbath, so they just had to make sure to get him into the tomb, and they said, we'll come back in about a day and a half, two days. Uh, we'll come back in about 48 hours to take care of him. They thought what they were about to walk into was a body that had faced death. And I'm not just saying death, but all of the the decomposition that comes with death. And I don't have to tell you what that might have been like and how bodies decompose in the hot Middle East, but you could imagine they were expecting a pretty wretched scene in front of them that day, that Jesus, having been humiliated on the cross, would be humiliated in the tomb As a dead person. But that's not what they got. No, they showed up at the tomb and something spectacular happened. Something that is beyond anything you and I could imagine because it had to do with angels. With messengers from God delivering the greatest message ever heard here on earth. Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. 
There's a lot of info packed into that statement. Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. Essentially, the angels are saying, hey, when you show up to the empty tomb, you can have a lot of emotions, but you know which one doesn't have a place at the empty tomb? Fear. No, there's no more fear at the empty tomb. Second, you are here looking for your brother and your friend who was crucified. That was the last they had seen of him. That's where they thought they would find Jesus. They thought they would find him humiliated by death in that tomb. And the angel says, if you're looking for Jesus, you're in the wrong place. And finally, we get to the third one. The third thing to unpack from this statement where we realize that the, the women and, and the disciples and the apostles never should have expected his body to be there. Just as Jesus had said he was going to rise again in three days, that's exactly what happened. And if all of those things are true, if the body had not been stolen, if the body had not been moved, but in fact got up and walked out of that grave full of life, then we have to pay attention. I want you to walk away from today with one thought in your brain. Jesus Christ humiliated death. So much so that when the angel rolled the stone away, Jesus wasn't even there. He didn't need the angel to roll the stone away. He had already conquered that grave and walked out. Jesus humiliates death and says, you might sting, but you can't destroy anymore. We come face to face very quickly with that when we find ourselves at funerals. As we look around and we see a body in front of us, and it, and it causes us to think about our own mortality and the mortality of the people around us, and we start to realize that we all share one thing in common. We're all going to die. It is that consequence of sin that every single human being on earth shares. Yeah, there are plenty of consequences of sin that you can actually avoid here on earth. Like, if, if you try real hard, you can avoid jail. I know, it's a shock. You can avoid jail. If you try real hard, you can avoid a lot of things in life. You can avoid broken broken relationships, if you try to speak a kind word and, and are full of forgiveness. There's a lot of things that we can avoid in life, a lot of consequences of sin, but death is the great unifier. It's the thing that shows each and every one of us that we have sin in our lives, that we live in this messy, sinful world, and it touches every part of our lives, doesn't it? It touches everything we do, everything we say, it even touches every single thing that we think. That sin that causes death feels as if it is just attached to us. As if it's in us. Because it is. But it's at this moment that Jesus shows to us that that one consequence of sin that we all have to face is humiliated that not even death is able to contain him. 
And if death is not able to contain the Son of God, then what Jesus is promising to us right here is death is not going to be able to contain you either. Whether you find yourself in a grave or in an urn or scattered across a lake somewhere or your your body is taken to all four corners of the world, God will call you out of whatever tomb you find yourself in. And he will say, you will rise because my son rise. That's the victory of Easter. Victory over a grave that we share with our Lord Jesus. It's, it's the thing that made the, the ladies so excited that it says in Matthew, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. What do you suppose that message was going to be? It was going to be more than a, it's all okay, don't worry about it. No, it was going to be, the tomb is empty, come look for yourselves. And maybe that should replace our, it's all going to be okay. We say that to ourselves a lot. We say that to each other. I think Jamie tells me that at least three times a day. It's all going to be okay, don't worry. But maybe that phrase needs some replacing. You are facing a lost job or you are headed into retirement and you have no idea what that holds for you and you hate the thought of it. But is the tomb still empty? Your relationships are falling apart and the people that you used to hold so dear seem to hate you. Is the tomb still empty? You're faced with a diagnosis one that says your, your life on this earth is fleeting and it's fleeting quickly and that there's probably a tomb waiting in your future very soon. We ask ourselves, is the tomb still empty? Because if the answer is yes to any of those questions, if the answer is yes, the tomb is still empty, my Savior still rises and reigns for me, then the fear of all of those other things in life is is sapped. The sting, the hurt, the pain is sapped because we know that our greatest need, a need for a savior from death itself, has already been fulfilled. And so in all of those other areas of our life, we are able to live in peace. That was the message the ladies were carrying. And they were sprinting. They were running back to the disciples because that's all they wanted to do was was tell them exactly what they had seen so that they might have the same hope that they have. They had seen something shocking and incredible when you see something shocking on Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or any of the other plethora of social media platforms that are out there. How often you click that share button and send it off to all of your friends, whether it's something tragic or funny or... Or, or just incredible. When we find something in our lives that we are excited about, we can't help but share it. Did you hear this week something crazy happened? Mind-blowing. Nobody ever thought something like this could happen. A tree fell in Augusta at the golf club. Who's all heard of that? Who all heard that this week? 
Yeah, everybody heard it. Everybody heard it because I had somebody that showed up to church that night and said, Pastor, did you hear? Did you hear? A tree fell down and almost clobbered some, some patrons. It was exciting, I guess. How much more excited are these ladies to tell the disciples who have lost all hope that there is hope again? That their hope was not put in vain that their hope didn't die on the tree, but in fact has risen from the grave. I think at this point you might think, and this is when pastor is going to say, now we need to leave church, and it's time for you to go tell everybody that you know that Jesus loves them. And that's fair. Certainly that's what the women were called to do. But then it's usually about that time that you go, yeah, that sounds really good in theory, but as I walk out the door, all of a sudden, the air sort of gets let out of the balloon. And I get scared again. It says that the, the women rushed away afraid, but filled with great joy. And how often does it happen that sometimes the fear sort of overtakes the, the great joy? So instead of me sitting up here and just saying, now go out and do it. Do it, do it, do it. Go tell everybody you know, go do it. Instead of that, might I suggest a different approach? Ask in the joy. You yourself, this afternoon, allow it to roll around in your head and roll around in your heart that Christ has risen from the grave, not for that person over there just by himself, but for me, for me, for this, for this bag of bones right here. Christ has risen from the grave for me. Find joy in that today. And throughout this week and throughout this Easter season, throughout your entire lives. And when the joy slips away, and it does, the joy slips away. Go back to the word of God and have him announce to you that joyful message again. Contemplate your baptism that we just got to see today and allow Jesus to speak that joyful message once again into your heart. Our members, come to the Lord's Supper and allow the joy of forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, to be spoken to you. We find joy not just when we speak to God, but when God speaks to us and delivers us a message that is more fabulous than anything else we know. Then be ready. Be ready to tell the people around you why you are so joyful. Why it is that you can't stop smiling. Why it is that you can't help but speak and teach about your Lord Jesus and what he's done for you. Because that joy has completely consumed you. And sort of like sin has touched every single aspect of your life. If the tomb is empty... Today's more than day four of the Masters. If the tomb is empty, then Jesus calls us exactly what he called the disciples. He calls us brothers. He calls us sisters. If the tomb is empty, we are co-heirs of eternal life. If the tomb is empty, we can go to our God in prayer. If the tomb is empty, then we are forgiven. If the tomb is empty, then we don't need to fear death. Well, it is. Because he's risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.